0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called Blessed Are the Weird. This week's message is by Brian Candelo, Recently, I came across this book called A Higher Calling. And in this book, the author tells a fascinating story that happened during World War II. Now, it's such a good story that actually it's being turned into a movie. So uh, I hope I'm not ruining the future movie for you. But it happens in December of 1943. There's a uh, pilot by the name of uh, Charlie Brown, (laughs) Charles Brown, a real guy, though. And he's a B-17 bomber pilot. And so in December of 43, he takes off from England with his his crew of 10, and they're going to do a daylight bombing raid in Germany, and, and that goes as planned. But on their way back, they encountered a group of German fighter planes, and they took serious damage. The tail gun was just blown off of the plane. There were holes in the side of the plane, as the crew would describe, holes that you could climb out of the plane if you wanted to. The nose cone of this B-17 was blown off so that 200-mile-an-hour winds were whipping through the plane as it was flying. At a certain point, there was an explosion that happened back by the tail of the, of the plane, and it just spiraled out of control down to the ground for several miles. And finally, at about 2,000 feet, Lieutenant Brown was able to pull it up and level it off. Now, the German fighter planes thought for sure that this plane was done, so they left it alone, and it continued on its way back to England. Now, common sense would have said, bail out. Jump out of the plane before it crashes, but there were injured crew on board, and Lieutenant Brown knew that he wasn't gonna leave them there, so they were shooting for England. They were hoping to make it home. And at a certain point... As he is flying barely above stall speed at 135 miles an hour, 2,000 feet, just low and slow, trying to get back home, they thought, man, we're home free. We can see the coast. We might actually make this thing, until they saw a speck appear behind them that got bigger rapidly. It was a German fighter pilot by the name of Franz Stigler. He was one kill away from getting the Distinguished Knight's Cross. And he had been refueling his plane as he saw this B-17 going overhead. And so he just jumped in his plane and took off and chased after it. And as he was approaching it, he was a little surprised that he was receiving no fire until he pulled up alongside of it. And then he was really surprised. He couldn't believe this thing was still in the air. He said, "You, you could see through the plane. I could see the crewman taking care of the injured. I could see the pilot through this shattered glass in the front. And he was moved. He was moved with pity. And he took his finger off of the trigger. Now that wasn't it. It wasn't just a feeling that he had because he decided I need to do something so that these people live. And so he pulled up alongside. Now, we don't have an actual photo, so this is an artist's rendition from the guys telling the story. He pulled up right over so he could look in and see Lieutenant Brown, and he's trying to wave him. He's trying to say, go north. Go north to Sweden where you can ditch. You'll make it to Sweden. You'll never make it to England. But it didn't exactly work, yelling from German to to English and through the plane and the wind. Lieutenant Brown was like, what is he saying? What's going on? Why is he there? And the crew was looking out, understanding that this German fighter pilot basically holds their lives in his hands because any moment now they could be shot down. But Stigler wants them to live and he knows that at the coastline there's an anti-aircraft installment and that once this B-17 gets there, it's an easy target. 2,000 feet, 135 miles an hour, they're going down. So he takes his plane and he moves it in such a way in the formation so that the Germans won't shoot down the B-17. And he knows that it's gonna cost him, and he knows that he's gonna get questioned about it, but he wants them to live. And so he flies over this anti-aircraft installment and not a shot was fired from the ground. When it passes over into open seas, he kind of pulls back around and and he waves goodbye, and and Lieutenant Brown still doesn't know what's going on, and and then he just peels off and he leaves. And this B-17 makes it back to England, 250 feet off the ground when it cleared the coastline. They had thrown out everything in the plane that wasn't bolted down and they made it. That was 1943. In 1990, these two pilots connected. Lieutenant Brown had written this article about what had happened and he put it out there and, and Stigler read it in some paper. And they connected and spent 18 years together traveling the world, telling this amazing story of mercy. Because that's not what enemies do in wartime. Enemies don't let the other person live. Enemies don't make sacrifices like that. And so it was amazing that Stigler was moved to such mercy. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What moves us to mercy beyond Pity, beyond concern, what takes us into mercy? We're continuing on in our series, Blessed Are the Weird. We're talking about the Beatitudes, the introduction into the, to the greatest sermon ever told in Matthew 5-7, to this Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, we're going to talk about, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How can we be merciful. I want to give you another just real quick practical example of what it means to be merciful. Several weeks ago, Pastor Steve showed a picture of me. <laughs> a highly photoshopped picture of me in a terrible suit but with great hair. And I thought, you know what? The next time I preach, I'm going to get him back. And then I saw that I was preaching on blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. And so I'm going to take the high road. Look at me this morning, taking the high road. See, I was going to show you this picture (laughs) right here. That's not photoshopped at all. And he's wearing a mink coat and Rod's looking at him like, can you believe it? But I wouldn't do that because blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Remind Steve of that. Hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you want to grab one from the pew, it's on page 1519. And I just want to give us a little reminder of where we've been because we've, we've kind of passed, we're at the hinge point of the Beatitudes. We're at the top of the mountain. And so for just a minute, we're going to sit down and we're going to enjoy the view here. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These first four are largely about emptying yourself. So if you look at that first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who need help, who understand that they can't do it on their own, who make this declaration of dependence upon Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, who understand that they have problems And their problems are spiritual problems and their problems are sin. And they understand that they need to repent of this sin and mourn of this. This, again, continued emptying. Blessed are the meek, those that understand that they don't have to defend themselves. That they come humbly and in a a position of surrender. And finally, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I've, I've emptied myself and now I have a hunger for this righteousness. I understand that I need something, And it's not gonna come from myself. And as much as I pursue achievements and try and make myself great, it's not gonna work. I need somebody else's achievements. I need someone else's righteousness. I need the righteousness of Jesus. And so if we look at it as the first four being you're emptying yourself, the, the second four are largely about being filled. If the first four are, are more inward, the second four are kind of what spills out. of When you hunger and thirst for righteousness and you're filled with that righteousness of Christ, when you're covered in his righteousness, what is it that spills out of you onto other people? And that's where we're going. And that's why today we're going to talk about Matthew 5-7. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And so what does it mean to be merciful? Usually we associate mercy with grace, and grace is that undeserved favor, that unmerited favor. But mercy is a little different. Mercy is this two-part definition. First is this, to be moved for the suffering of someone else or to vibrate to someone else's pain. When you see someone else suffering, what does that do to you? Are you moved by that? Now, you can obviously differentiate. There's certain times, you know, if you see someone trip and you laugh, that's not exactly mercy, even though you're moved by their pain. You're moved the wrong way, probably. (laughs) But think of it this way. When you see uh, the Syrian refugee crisis, what does that do to you? What does that stir inside of you? Do you vibrate with the pain that they're experiencing? And the second part of what it means to be merciful is this, to go to extravagant measures to alleviate that suffering. See, it's well beyond just a feeling. It's not just a feeling of pity or concern or compassion. It's that moving into extravagant action. So mercy, as Jesus defines it, is when you see that suffering, it does something in you, but you don't just leave it there. You go to extravagant measures to try and alleviate that. It's an active kindness. It says in 1 John three eighteen, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. This in extravagant ways. If you've ever seen that show, Extreme Home Makeover, it, it resonates with a lot of people because they go in and somebody that has nothing and, and has a ton of need but can never really pay for it and they just, you know, blow the house up and build this huge giant thing and it's absolutely amazing and, and all the ladies cry and all the guys are like, I didn't think you could buy a TV that big, that's awesome. And, but it just moves you, right? There's just something that happens when you're like, wow, they made a difference, that was extravagant, that's huge, that's going to change their lives. This isn't just blessed are the nice. It's blessed are those who feel and move. Blessed are those who give when they know it's going to cost a lot. Blessed are those who make a difference. Blessed are the merciful. Now, I'll be honest, it's not that simple for me. When I looked at this beatitude, I I wrestled with it because at first I was like, yes, we can talk about what it means to be merciful. But the more you look at it, and the second half of that beatitude says, for they will be shown mercy. And if there was ever a beatitude that seemed like a formula that seemed conditional, it's this one. And so honestly, there's a tension in the Beatitudes. And and we don't wanna ignore it. We don't wanna spend too much time on it, but we do wanna acknowledge that that there is this tension here, that it seems like if I am merciful, then I get mercy. James 2.13, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So it almost seems conditional, but you need to understand that this is not talking about a a salvation mercy. You have already received immeasurable mercy because if it was up to us, if if we could work for it, then that would take away grace, right? So we're saved by grace. This isn't saying that, that you have to be merciful in order to receive the salvation mercies of God. That's not what this is saying. This is not this condition of inclusion into the kingdom, if I am merciful. But it is a conditional statement, and there is accountability with this statement, and and there are conditional statements in Scripture, and we don't need to run away from them. So look at it this way. If we know it's not salvation mercies, then it's this kind of daily continuing mercies from God. Think of it as a mercy pipeline, and God just wants to pour his mercies out to you. And we know Lamentations 3 says that his mercies are new every morning. And think of this mercy pipeline that sometimes maybe we can clog with our actions. When we're not merciful, we can clog the pipeline up a bit. When we don't respond the way that we should, we can keep those mercies from flowing towards us. That's what it looks like. We've already been shown incredible mercy and God can still show us mercy. But the tension is in this beatitude that there are times we clog the pipeline. Matthew 18 is a, is a great parable. Uh, Jesus tells this great parable. All the parables he tells are great. But this is one in Matthew 18 that he tells that's great. Um, you know what I'm saying. Uh, Matthew 18. A king is settling accounts with his servants and he brings a servant before him that owes him this incredible sum of money. The Bible says that it's the equivalent of 375 tons of silver. I don't even know how you incur such a debt. I don't know what went wrong for you to get that much in debt. But the point of the story is that, that this guy comes in and he's got a debt that he cannot pay. And so the king says, all right, to settle this account, we're gonna need to sell everything that you own. We're gonna need to sell you Your wife, your kids, so that I can recoup some of this debt. And this servant of the king falls on his knees and he pleads, Please, please, please forgive, forgive this debt. And the king has mercy. It costs something to him, but he has mercy on this servant and he forgives him. And if you can imagine this servant walking out of the palace just with this weight released from his shoulders, what is he gonna do? How is he gonna live now that this is gone? Well, he finds this other guy that owes him money. The Bible says about a hundred days wages. And he goes up to this guy after just having been forgiven a debt that he could never repay, after just having lightened his load, he comes up to this guy that owes him money and he puts him in a chokehold. And he says, pay me back what you owe me. And the guy says, I can't. And he begs for mercy from this servant. Please forgive me. And the servant says, no, and has him thrown in jail. Now, the king finds out, because the king always finds out. The king finds out and brings this servant back before him. And he's like, what have you done? You were forgiven a debt that you could never repay. He says this, verse 33, Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? and he has this guy thrown in prison and we we look at that story and we go yeah man that servant was a jerk and then we realize yeah I'm that jerk a lot of the times when we think about the mercy that we have received the forgiveness that we have received the debt that has been canceled that we could never repay And so we are to then pass that mercy on. I mean, think about the debt that was canceled. Remember the definition of what it means to be merciful, to vibrate with someone's pain and to go to extravagant measures to alleviate that pain. Ephesians chapter two, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ From the dead. That God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that Jesus gave His life to pay the debt that we couldn't pay so that we could live with Him forever. That's the mercy that we've been shown, and we show mercy because of that mercy that we've been shown. We love others because of the love that we have received. We share His grace because of the grace that we have received. And so understanding that should point us in a certain direction. Mercy means to to vibrate with someone else's pain, to go to extravagant measures to help alleviate that pain. But mercy, as defined in Scripture, focuses on the eternal. Mercy, as God gives it, focuses on our eternal souls. And we need to remember that. Mercy needs to point us in the direction of the eternal. God did not send his son to die for us so that we could be comfortable. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could have more stuff. Jesus gave his life for us to rescue us so that we could live both now and forever. The mercy of God affects our eternities. And when we think about being merciful to other people, we need to have eternity in mind. You see, as Christians, we should understand the sufferings of the world. And more so than other people around us, we should be willing to meet those needs. But we need to understand at the root of those needs, at the root of emotional needs and physical needs, are spiritual needs. You see, to show mercy on a a very practical level is to be commended, we should do that, we should meet others' needs. But meeting physical needs is incomplete. It's commendable, but it's incomplete. We need to have a focus on what it means to meet spiritual needs. That's why we say around here that that there are good deeds that we do that lead to goodwill, that leads to the good news. We want to be those that show and tell. We need to remember that when we stand before the people that we interact with all the time, that they are eternal. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, Weight of Glory, says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Our mercy to other people needs to take into account that they are eternal. And how could we deal with a present physical need of a moment and neglect the sufferings of eternity? You see, mercy that ignores spiritual needs is not the mercy of Jesus. And we have to understand that there is an eternal component to our mercy. It's great to do the good deeds, but in our mercy, are we thinking about the eternal? Are we sharing the good news? And I know that's scary. I know that's intimidating because it's easier to just meet the physical needs. The first mission trip I ever led, I was a youth pastor in Western Pennsylvania, and I took 30 or so uh, very rural farm students to Spanish Harlem, New York City. It was a wonderful experience. And we went to Spanish Harlem to to meet practical needs. We painted and we cleaned up a lot next to the church and we cleaned apartments for people that couldn't get out. We did all these very practical things. But there came a time where we had to share the good news. And we went out for outreach one night and we went to a corner in East Harlem at eight o'clock at night, set up a screen, a big old video projector, and we showed the movie The Cross and the Switchblade in Spanish. None of our students understood it. I didn't understand it. Here we are, it's dark, you know, 30 white kids on a dangerous street corner in East Harlem with the cross and the switchblade showing on a screen. And people are walking past and looking and and some people are stopping and watching part of it. But at the end, there was probably 15 or 20 people that had kind of semi-circled around the screen. And the pastor gets up and he said, "My, my friend Brian is going to share with you about Jesus. And I was just like, oh, I was not ready for this moment. I take the mic and I didn't, I didn't even understand the movie. So literally I'm like, well, there was a guy on the screen and I think he was a bad guy because he had a knife, switchblade. Yeah, that's what it was. And uh, then at the end, he was good and you should accept Jesus. So let's pray. Like I really, I had nothing, I had no idea what I was saying, but I, It was it. It was the moment, so I'm just pointing at the screen and okay, and then Jesus loves you because a guy had a knife, so amen, right? And and by the grace of God, people responded to the pastor, thankfully, not me. (laughs) But this understanding that we've been given mercy that has affected our eternity, and that's what we are to share, and we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared for that. So what can we do? I wanna give you just three practical things that we can do to be merciful, to share mercy with other people. And the first is this, forgiveness. Now you might not think that forgiveness matches with mercy, but it's an extension of mercy. You see, in that culture, in that time, revenge would have been the order of the day. If someone did something to you, you did something back to them, not too different from how we live today, right? But we are called to extend mercy by way of forgiveness. And and it's costly. Mercy is costly. There's an extravagant cost to mercy. There's an extravagant cost to forgiveness, but we are called to forgive. Ephesians 4 says it this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The way to get rid of that anger and that rage and that bitterness is to be a forgiving people, understanding that God has forgiven us what we couldn't repay, and it was costly. Too often we get stuck on what has been done to us rather than what has been done for us. And I know that it's easy to stand up here and to say, yeah, we need to forgive. And I I don't know your stories. And maybe if I knew your stories, I'd be just as angry as you are. But I do know that we're supposed to get rid of that anger because that anger hurts us, not the other person. And I know forgiveness seems like we're letting them off the hook. And forgiveness seems like it's making us more vulnerable. But you know, people who have offended us and hurt us and embarrassed us and abandoned us and rejected us and people that we might have a legitimate case against, we are called to forgive. We are called to extend that mercy because when we do, it frees us. Now, I understand that there's a lot of really bad circumstances, and forgiveness might not mean letting someone back in your life that has harmed you. I understand that, but we are called to forgive. And so, let's ask ourselves this question Who is it that I need to forgive? Who is it? Who in your world do you need to forgive? The second thing I would say is that we need to give, not just forgive. A way that we extend mercy is this extravagant giving. We can't be armchair philanthropists. We can't be you know strong on the nouns, but weak on the verbs. I read a quote a couple weeks ago by a, a Scottish pastor from the 1800s. <laughs> just made me laugh. He said, the people who least live their creeds are not seldom the people who shout loudest about them. The paralysis which affects the arm does not, in these cases, interfere with the tongue. (laughs) Right? We can't just be ones to just talk a mean game, you know? Our mouth is like, yeah, serve and give and do all this stuff, but then we have a paralysis of the arm. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I have so much? Now, I know it's not as much as we want, but it is more than most of the world has, and it is enough, and we have what we need, but why has God provided us with more than we need? I always find it interesting, when we lack, we tell God about it right away, but when we have what we need, we ask God for more. Why has God blessed us with all that we need and then some? It's so that we can give. It's so that we can extend his mercy extravagantly. Yeah, it's going to cost you. You can't bear the burdens of someone else without having them land on your shoulders as well. And there's going to be some things maybe that you can't do in life, but we are called to be givers. And not just money, time, and talent, and resources. A merciful person says, all right, no matter what the cost, I'm gonna extravagantly give. And so then we ask ourselves the question, what is it that I can give towards? God, what are you calling me to give towards? Because when we are people that extend mercy by forgiving and we are people that give extravagantly and show the mercy of God in that way, God is going to open doors up for us and we need to be ready. The third thing I would say is be ready to share the good news. This eternal perspective to what mercy is. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. God is going to open up opportunities and mercy as defined by Jesus is a mercy that cares about the eternal soul. And so we need to be ready to share. This past summer, I had the opportunity to go to Taiwan with with students from here, 10 students and two adults. We went to Taiwan to run a, an English camp for Taiwanese elementary school children. And it was fantastic. And we had these kids from eight in the morning till five in the evening. They just wore us out. It was a beautiful thing. The point of us going wasn't just to teach English. We did English in the morning. From 8 until noon, we taught numbers and letters and colors and shapes and animals and did the whole class thing. But in the afternoon, we taught them about American holidays: Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's Day, Easter. And we were looking towards Easter and we were planning towards Easter. So we did three days. And we did Thanksgiving and Christmas and Valentine's Day. And then, I don't know if you remember, but there was a typhoon that hit Taiwan this past summer, and we were there for it. And very well-meaning people from Salem Alliance kept sending me emails. Did you know there's a a typhoon headed your way? And I'm like, yes, I know. I I saw that on the news. Everybody's boarding stuff up here. Um, Thank you very much. And and the city that we were in on the coast was where the eye of this typhoon was going to hit. And so the night before we were to give our Easter story, the government canceled everything, closed everything. So I had to tell the students, guys, we can't do camp tomorrow. And they were like, why? And I was like, well, there's a typhoon. It's coming towards us. We have to be inside. And they said, well, put it back on, make it happen. And I was like, the government canceled. I didn't cancel. It was the government, call them. They were mad at me, which was great. I love their passion to be with these kids. So we went to bed that night with this understanding that we weren't gonna be able to share the next day. The typhoon overnight stalled out in the ocean. It was waiting for the Easter story. The next morning the pastor called us up and he said, you know what, the typhoon isn't coming in and all these parents are calling me saying, we wanna have camp, we wanna send our kids to camp, would you do it? Yes, we'll do it, of course we'll do it. So we ran over and we prepped and in that morning, Ten students, I stood in the back of the room, shared the Easter story. They did a drama. We had someone who had worked relentlessly on preparing what it was that she was gonna share about the grace and truth of Jesus. And we turned it over to the pastor at the end of our student sharing. And uh, I just sat in the back. I took this picture. This was a response to the gospel after they had seen the good deeds, if there was goodwill. And then the good news came and they responded because our students were ready to share. God held a typhoon off because he knew that his children needed to receive his mercy. And so I would ask you, who is it that you need to share the good news with? And are you ready? Are you ready to do that? The holidays are coming up. It could be a family member. It could be a coworker. We are called to extend the mercy that we have received, to give it away, to show others. So who can we forgive? What can we give extravagantly towards? And who can we share the good news with? Would you pray with me? Jesus, I just wanna start by saying thanks. Thanks for being merciful to us. Thanks for the extravagant cost that you paid for us the extravagant gift that you gave so that we could spend forever with you. And I pray that you would move us, that it it wouldn't be just words, it wouldn't be just feelings, that you would call us into action with an eternal mindset. We just wanna share what what has been shared with us. Thank you, Jesus, we love you in your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.